Yeah, if you could bring ClickShare up, if it's still on, we'd like to see it up. Perfect. Thank you. <clears throat> Title of my message today is Lessons from the Battle of Ai. It's, uh, we're in the book of Joshua. We're in chapter seven and eight today, and it's really kind of a sober word. I was intrigued to see how God moved in the worship time, just what was there. I've really pondered, Lord, how do I deliver this? Because um, there's fairly challenging items in the text. That's one of the things we get when we're preaching expositorily through a book. You've got to deal with every chapter, every problem, everything that's in there. And so we're in uh, this book today. And I uh, want to say something to just start. There's an incredible tragedy that often plays out for believers it's when we're offered a promised land and we fail to enter or fully possess what God has spoken to us. I don't know if any of you can relate to that or have known people that get a promise from God, they move towards it, they give up, they bail, they encounter some bitterness, some hardships, some trials, some tribulation of some kind, and it seems like they're wandering in the wilderness over and over. And so... Um, I want to borrow a phrase from David Ravenhill. He's got a book by this title, They Drank from the River but Died in the Wilderness. And I felt as I was preparing for this, the jealousy of the Lord to say, I'm not okay with my people today dying in the wilderness. I died so that they might come into the fullness of promise. Philippians 1.6 came to mind. For I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work shall complete it in you until the day that Christ Jesus returns. And I just felt this holy jealousy from the Lord that he was literally uh, brooding over our circumstances, the little fires in our life, the little things that would keep us from coming in, that he is actually super jealous that the Joshua generation, the Joshua company would come in and possess the land that God's given. Amen. That's the sense I have. That's where I'm headed. So I want us to take encouragement from the prophetic words that were in... Um, sort of the beginning of this message that, um, you, you know, not the beginning of the message in worship, that just um, God's got this, he's gonna roar, holiness matters to him, he's gonna brood over these things to cause things to come into righteousness. So that's where I'm headed. So we're gonna, um, I wanted to actually start with, it's interesting, when I was teaching through the Pentateuch a few years ago, um, the Lord highlighted for me 14 reasons um, double seven, I guess, I don't know, 14 reasons people did not come into the promises. It was out of the book of Exodus, the book of Numbers, and then Joshua, there are four in Joshua, there were 10 in Exodus and Numbers. I won't have time to develop these today, but I actually wanted to uh, take some time um, to kind of list the 10. You can take photos if you want. I notice some of you do that sometimes, but I'm just gonna highlight them. You can listen to this again and watch the recording, but I'm not going to preach on each. The first was in Exodus 14. Um, because of the hardship of the wilderness, they despaired and they were tempted to go back to Egypt. It says in 14:12, if I remember, why did you bring us out into this wilderness just here to die? Let us go back to Egypt, back to slavery, because it was easier in slavery than it is here in this transitionary period of the wilderness. And we don't want to do that. That was one reason that some failed. The other was found in Exodus 15. I'm just literally going through Exodus. 
They complained when they had bitter experience. This is the waters at Mara that were bitter and they could not drink. And it's and interestingly, um, there's a piece of wood that's thrown in and when that happens, the bitter waters become sweet. I believe it's kind of a prophetic picture of inner healing that when we encounter bitter roots and bitter experiences um, and we complain about those, that can actually prevent us from seeing truly what God would have to bring us into our fullness. And so uh, God graciously dealt with that. They complain again in Numbers 21 and Hebrews 12, 15 talks about, it's talking about not falling short of the grace of God. And one of the conditions is if you have a bitter root within you, it will cause you to fall short of God's grace. And so this issue of bitter waters can cause some of this. I don't know if any of you have had that where you've been bitter at God for something and you've just allowed that bitterness to reside. And I can tell you right now that will prevent you coming into the promises. The third thing that was out there is they were complaining with what seemed to be a lack of provision for the vision. They had kind of uh, both a poverty mindset and a greed mammon mindset in the wilderness where at one point when the, the manna comes, they were told very specifically, gather only what you need. You can't store it overnight. It'll be fresh every day. And you can't gather on the Sabbath. There'll be double portion on Saturday, enough for both days. But if you gather it, it's gonna rot. It's gonna have worms. And uh, sure enough, they were greedy. They had this poverty mindset. They were fixated on their lack and on their need. And as a result, it, it got wormy, different things. Same kind of thing is repeated in Numbers 11, this idea of bitter complaining about lack of provision. But actually, God was testing them this way to say, will you trust me to provide for the vision or will you take matters into your own hands? And will you get focused on providing for yourself? It's like the word we just heard about the bitter root, the foxes. Will we think, oh, I got this. I just need to provide. I just need to get my finances in this order and then everything works. And God says, no, I need you to trust me day by day by day. And it's a picture that's there that can also prevent us from coming in. Then we've got this famous passage in Exodus 31 where they create a golden calf. They throw all the jewelry they've taken from Egypt. They're tired with the delay of Moses on the mountain. And they decide we actually need a God that we can see with our own eyes and with our own ears and that we, uh, because there's this mystical God up there in the fire on the mountain and I need something I can see. And so they committed idolatry. They, they fashioned a calf after one of the Egyptian gods and it did not go well. And Moses had to grind that up and they had to eat it and see if that's satisfied. Uh, and actually um, at that time, God says, I'm tired of these people, I won't take them in. Um, but my presence won't go, go with you. And Moses intercedes and fortunately God hears and says, all right, because you've appealed to me for, your, for my great namesake, because Moses' prayer was like this in Exodus 33, said, Lord, you promised that you would do this. Your name and your reputation is at stake if you don't deliver your people into the promised land. And so God graciously forgave them, but made them eat the consequences of their idolatry um, which was kind of nasty. And then I mentioned this material greed and poverty mindset. When we get to Numbers 11, we find that they're just grabbing and they're complaining. They want so much more. 
And again, our focus on the material things will keep us from coming into the promised land. Um, several more, criticism or rebellion against leadership that God has placed over you. This was really a sober one for me, just looking at um, what happens here. There's two accounts. There's the account of Miriam complaining about Moses, and she even impacts Aaron about this. And as a result of that complaining, what ends up happening is um, Miriam is judged by the Lord and gets leprosy and is set outside the camp. The reason for that being is the grumbling and murmuring against leadership will actually poison the flock because God works through leaders. And if there's, a, if there's criticism of, and I'm, I'm not defending myself for anything right now. I don't feel criticized. Just so you know, I'm just being faithful to the text. Like, uh, um, seriously. <laughs> but um, Moses, again, intercedes and prays. Same thing happened in uh, Numbers 16. Uh, this time it's a guy named Korah. And he's got a variety of people, 250, that join in a an actual rebellion against Moses. In both cases, there's jealousy about whom God has put in place and criticism of how Moses leads. And um, in Korah's case, the, the ground opens up and swallows Korah, his family, his livestock, and the 250. And then there's a plague with everyone else that disagreed. I think, if I remember, 12,000 died. Which, again, we'll come back to why is judgment so strict in the Old Testament? What's that all about? But that's a key thing. And I remember this. Um, the Lord spoke this to me. He said, if you bless and honor the leaders I, I get put over you, and you serve them and honor them as a son, I'll give you a portion of their anointing. But if you criticize them, you will not gain anything from that leader. And it was just kind of an interesting posture about that, um, that was in my own life. The, the seventh thing is found in Numbers 13 and 14 where they had um, unbelief in the promises of God. They did not believe in the promises. Um, they went in, they saw the giants in the land. They said, we're not able, we're grasshoppers in their sight. Uh, the obstacles, the opposition, the mighty army is so much bigger. There's giants there. We cannot take it. And of course, if you know the story, God is so angry at this point that he says, I'm gonna cause all of the generation that's listened to these 10 spies with bad report to die off in the wilderness. You'll wander for 40 years. I'll preserve the nation. But those of you with this kind of unbelief will not enter into the promises. And sure enough, they wandered for 40 years and did not enter the promises. Um, a very sad situation. Two more, um, presumption after this happened, the people said, well, let's go in and take it. They were just like ready to move because they felt the rebuke of the Lord. They said, we can go ahead and take it. We disobeyed the Lord the first time and the Lord had not authorized that. In fact, Moses said, I've not, I'm, God is not with you. Do not go up. And they are resoundly defeated. And so there's this issue of presuming in our own strength to take on something God has not authorized that will also prevent us from coming in. I know this is sober. Maybe the spirit is going to address some things in your heart that's there. And the other was Moses had this interesting encounter where when the people complained again, and by the way, it's structured chiastically. There's kind of repeats of some of these trials. But the, um, 
There's another complaint about water, and there's been multiple complaints throughout their time. And Moses this time gets angry with the people and says, what shall I do to make this water come forth for you? And he's thinking about, he's acting in the flesh at that point. God said, speak to the rock. And instead Moses struck it as if it was by his own power. And as a result, God says, for that disobedience of my word and taking credit yourself in your anger, you will not enter the promised land. And Moses failed to enter. Uh, I don't know if all of you know the story, the Old Testament um, about that, but I'm always really sad Moses didn't make it. Um, he came right to the edge, but he never crossed in for that particular error. The last one was a guy named Balaam and Balak, the king. Uh, the king hired Balaam to curse Israel and the Lord prevented him from cursing, but then he gave advice to the king that says, you can seduce them with your Moabite women and they will commit harlotry and this will, their sexual sin will be a sin that will be a stain that will prevent them from coming in. And if you know the story, the people committed harlotry. I forget, was somebody got, didn't they get like a sword through their chest as a result of the judgment? Uh, and so these are things that can prevent us entering. But there's four more in the book of Joshua. And I'm going to address the first today because it's in chapter 7. And it's this way. And I'm going to ask it as a question. Uh, well, here's, here's number 11. I just put it this way. How our sin creates consequences for yourself and for others around you. How many of you are aware that your sin affects you? And how many are aware that your sin affects others that you might be married to or their children or your parents or your friends? That's a scary reality, isn't it? It's a scary reality. And we're gonna see how God feels about the result of that. So let's, um, by the way, keep in mind there's hope. <laughs> we're in a New Testament era where God doesn't kill people because they sin. We actually have forgiveness through Christ. He paid the penalty on the cross so that the angel of death passes over us and we, right, we're offered forgiveness of sin and the removal of unrighteousness. However, um, there's a sober warning here, and you heard in the prophetic words with what was happening here, that God is interested that um, we have, um, how would I put it? We have um, holiness, and we're rightly aligned with the Lord to move forward. So let me read Joshua 7. I'll make a few exegetical comments. Actually, I'm gonna give a little bit of background while we get there from chapter six, which is bridging us to last week's message. Um, in chapter six, in verse 17, if I can get my eyes on it, it says this. Now the city before you, this is Jericho, shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. Harem is actually the word, which meant it's committed to, my, it's committed to me. I'm going to be judging the sin. It does not belong to you. Everything in the city belongs to me is the idea behind the phrase, how it's worded in Hebrew. Um, and all who are in it, only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, the things that are under the ban. 
lest you become accursed when you take these things that are under the band, this is the harem word, and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold, the vessels of bronze, and are consecrated to the Lord, and they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So that was the clear instruction. It belongs to me, don't take anything. I think of this as the, the glory belongs to the Lord, don't touch it. The glory belongs to him. This was uh, something he was doing, and that's the backdrop. So let's read chapter seven. I want you to notice verse one. It's gonna unpack the whole story for you in one verse, and then we'll read about the story. Chapter seven, verse one, I'm in the New King James. Uh, But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the cursed, accursed things. For Achan, the son of Camry, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah took of the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Notice Israel is affected by the sin of one man named Achan. Verse two, now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, which means house of evil, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them saying, go up and spy out the country, if you know, if you've been in Israel, the Jordan Rift Valley is about 500 feet or more below sea level. They would have been ascending to about five to six thousand feet where Ai is. So this was quite a march. It was up very steep terrain. Ai's on the Central Benjamin Plateau up there near Bethel. It's east of Bethel, and um, so um, and. It says, go up, that's why it says go up, and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said, oh, do not let all the people go up, but just let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people in Ai are few. What does that sound like? Hint, there's a mistake in that. Um, presumption, pride, oh, we've had this massive victory at Jericho. Surely we've got this. And they didn't even inquire of the Lord what his strategy was. So, um, do not weary all the people, for the people of Ai are few. So, about three thousand men went up from there, from the people that uh, from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai, and the men of Ai struck down thirty-six men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shabarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people of Israel melted and became like water. Interestingly, that's what was happening in Jericho. The enemy's heart melted. Now Israel's hearts are melting. A couple of things that are happening here. Verse one, Achan has committed a sin which has brought all of Israel under a curse per chapter six. And secondly, they've acted presumptuously without inquiring of the Lord before they went up. Now, when Joshua, um, then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they, they put dust on their heads. This is a sign of repentance. He's repenting before the Lord. And Joshua said, alas, Lord, now he's despairing, Why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us, question mark? Oh, that we'd been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. It sounds like their first sin 
when they wanted to go back to Egypt. Oh Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? That was a great last statement because God's gonna defend his name at all costs. So verse 10, so the Lord said to Joshua, get up, why do you thus uh, lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned and they've also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived and they've also put it amongst their own stuff. Notice it was Achan who did this, but Israel is guilty of what Achan walked in. Um, therefore, the, verse 12, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their back before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed things from among you. In other words, your sin is going to prevent you from possessing the land if you don't repent and deal with it. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from amongst you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes. It shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to families, and the family which the Lord takes shall come by households, and the household which the Lord shall take shall come forward man by man. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has because he's transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he's done a disgraceful thing in Israel. By the way, I'm really glad we're in the New Testament. And uh, <laughs> we have an advocate, Christ Jesus in heaven. Whoa, my goodness. Now, they use something called Urim and uh, Thurim, which is this, uh, um, some of would say Urim and Thummim, but more accurately pronounced Urim and Thummim, uh, which means the, um, the lights of revelation and the perfection. And what's interesting is the root of the one for lights means cursed, and the one for perfection means truth in the root word. So part of what's happening here is they're probably using these lots, which you hear about, casting of lots to decide what God, is it yes or no based on how they fall? Is it a reem, no, or is it a thumim, yes. And so apparently they select this down, and you'll see here, they're gonna select it down and it's gonna become Achan. Verse 16, so Joshua rose early in the morning, brought Israel by tribes. The tribe of Judah was selected. Then he brought the clan of Judah, took the family of the Zerites, and he brought the family of the Zerites man by man, and Zabti was taken. Then he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Camri, the son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was selected by the Lord. Now Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, by the way, uh, Urim and Thummim there died out in the New Testament because we now have the Holy Spirit who leads us. We don't need lots. The last time we've seen the lots is when in Acts 1 they cast lots to see who would replace Judas 
and Matthias is chosen, and he's, you never hear of him again. Actually, God chose Paul. And so lots died out in that place because now we have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit instructs us. Just to be clear, like this is Old Testament, Old Covenant. Now Joshua said to Achan, this is the request for confession. My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord, God of Israel, and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned before the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I've done. When I saw the spoils, a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them, took them, and there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, they ran to the tent, and there it was hidden from in his tent with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that they had and brought them to the valley of Achor, which means valley of trouble. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones and they burned them with fire after uh, they had stoned them with stones. They raised over him a great heap of stones and they are still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of the place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. Okay, I need to address some questions with this. So this kind of begins part two of the message. So... um, (laughs) Let's, um, let's do this. I'm keeping track of time today. Um, gave you background. Notice the pride and this. So I wanna make some, I wanna make a question. Here's the question I have. Is this corporate guilt or individual guilt? And what does the Lord hold us accountable for? Does it trouble you that 36 men died from the sin of Achan? And the language of the text was Achan's sin, Israel was under a curse because of it. So I, I don't know about you, but this, like, this is troublesome for me. Like, what do I do with this? And um, scripture tells us that unredeemed people in Adam are all born in sin. We know this from <clears throat> Psalm 51, 5, Romans 5, 12, and 18. So in, in a sense, all of us are guilty you know, it says, for, for none are righteous, all have sinned, and, you know, um, you know, fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin are death. So, in a sense, we're all guilty. However, uh, the scripture's also abundantly clear that each person stands alone for his own actions. So, while sin may have had consequence for Israel, Achan was ultimately the guilty one, and it was the one that was destroyed, but others were not because of Achan's sin. So, for example, if you look at Ezekiel 18, um, let me read a little bit of that, just so we catch this. Um, this is important because um, I'm held accountable for my own sin, even though it might, gosh, I talk as if I'm doing it, I'm not, but, um, <laughs> But my wife could be affected, so could my kids or my grandchildren, so could my staff, 
Should I be walking in some level of sin? So could the church. Because we believe in a headship flow of blessing and if I'm committing sin, I've opened a gate for the enemy to touch all of you and I'm held accountable. It's kind of a sober thing. Let me, let me find this passage in Ezekiel. Give me a minute. Ezekiel 18. Are you with me? Are you okay? You're breathing? We're good? <clears throat> okay. Let me uh, read verse nine and 10. If a man has walked in my statutes and fully kept my judgments. Now this old covenant, you, if you obeyed, you were blessed. If you disobeyed, you were cursed. Thank goodness for Jesus. I'll say that again. But here's a righteous man. He is just. He shall surely live, says the Lord. If he begets a son who's a robber or a shedder of blood, who does not do any of the things and does none of his duties, but has eaten on the mountain or defiled his neighbor's wife, goes on and on. And it says at the close of 13, he shall not live, for he's done an abomination. He shall surely die, and his blood will be upon him. So we have a righteous father who lives and is blessed, an unrighteous son who's held accountable for his son's sin. Then it goes on with another. However, if this unrighteous one begets a son who sees all the sins which his father has done, considers them but does not do likewise, and it goes on and says, he shall not die for the iniquity of his father. In verse 17, he shall surely live. So the, the comment there, and it closes this way in verse sort of 23. God says this, do I have any pleasure that the wicked should die, says the Lord, and not that he should turn from his ways? He's in indicating in the midst of this, my heart is beating that all should repent and all should live. You gotta hear that in the words of these Old Testament judgment passages. Um, and yet, verse 25, yet you say the way of the Lord is not fair. Hear now, O house of Israel. I'm in verse 25. Is not my way which is fair and your ways which are not fair? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity and dies in it, it's because of the iniquities done that he dies. And when a wicked man turns away from his wickedness, which he's committed and does what's lawful and right, he preserves himself alive. And he considers and turns away from all his uh, transgressions which he committed, surely he shall live. And then the conclusion in verse 30 is repent and turn from your transgressions. So iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away all the transgressions which you've committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. By the way, Ezekiel comments in 36 that the promise of the new covenant in Christ is a new heart and a new spirit in you that will cause you to walk in his ways. Amen. So I want you to hear in the midst of this that we're each accountable for our own sin, but our sin does affect others around us. But only those that commit it are accountable and the heart of the Lord is everyone should repent. Now that's carried through in the New Testament where it says, 1 John 1, 9, if we're... If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That actually means the unrighteous effects that we've had are under the potential of being healed. And it says in verse eight of that same verse, First uh, John chapter one, let no one say that he does not sin, making himself out to be a liar. In other words, he's expecting that there's a sin. And the answer is, if we sin, if we confess it, we're cleansed. As well as the unrighteous effects of that sin.
Thank you, Jesus, that we have an advocate. What about the severity of God's judgment? I, again, do these trouble you when you read Old Testament passages or is it just me that like, like kind of wonders about that? Have you heard like, if there's a loving God, how could a loving God allow this to happen? We're probably hearing that regarding suffering, regarding sickness. God, if you're loving, my aunt shouldn't have died of cancer. God, if you're loving, how come this calamity came to my family? You know, why is there a loving God allow suffering in the world? There's these things. What's this issue of severity of judgment? And why was everyone at, at Jericho killed? And it seems the same in, in I. Um, well, let me give you a picture of this. The Old Testament is a physical picture of God's plans of redemption. And when men walk in the ways of the Lord, they're blessed, but all have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. And we're actually seeing it in the natural. So in the Old Testament, it played out in the natural, whereas in the New Testament, it plays out in the spiritual. So when we sin, we're actually under a curse, and there's consequences, spiritual consequences that impact us. But of course, the blood of Christ provides that redemption and that cleansing from sin. But there's severity because God is holy. You heard that with, with Cindy who was here on the stage. He's holy, he's holy. It's over and over and he's a consuming fire. He cannot stand what is not holy in his presence and he must purge it. And she quoted Psalm 24 but didn't read it. It says, he who has a clean hands and a pure heart who may ascend the hill of the Lord, but he who has clean hands and a pure heart. And it talks about the cleansing of iniquity. Then it says, open the gates, open ye gates, ye ancient doors, that the king of glory might come in. That's preceded by the question, who may ascend, but only those that have had their hearts purified and their hands cleaned. So we know that sin can prevent, and it prevented Achan from possessing the promises. I'm aware this is a really sober word. <laughs> But there's a, there's a fear of the Lord, which is how she closed her word. Oops, sorry. I, I, I'm on the stage and I, I didn't mean to kick it over. Thank you, Gwen. It's our Christmas decorations. And <laughs> I just would say this out of the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. Today is the day of salvation, not judgment. One day, Jesus will judge the earth when he comes a second time. Second Peter 3, 10 to 13, Revelation 19, 11 to 19 is very clear. However, there can be consequences to our sin. Ananias and Sapphira illustrate this. And interestingly, we see every time God is doing a new thing, there's a severity of, the word judgment means discerning what's right and wrong. This is the severity of the consequences. So we have, I wrote a little list for myself. Where did I put it? Um, I'll have to do it from memory. It's, you've, got, um, Hoff, you've got Hophni and Phinehas, um, sons of the priest. You've got strange fire in Leviticus 10 that's offered. And as a result, there's severe judgment. You've got Ananias and Sapphira. Various places you see when there's a new thing that's happening God wants to indicate the fear of the Lord. It matters how you live. We're in a new day right now. We're talking about revival. We're talking about the kingdom advancing. 
it actually matters how we live right now. It always matters, but it really matters. Here's the good news, and we'll, we'll get to chapter eight. After sin is purged, blessing is restored. I think I may have to wait um, for chapter eight, that story next week. Well, let's just give the highlights here. Um, chapter eight. Now the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid nor dismayed. Take all the people of war with you. Now the Lord's giving instructions. They failed to ask the first time. Arise and go up to Ai. See, I've given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. He's given him the king. Now you may take the plunder and their specific instructions. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. Here's the instruction. Lay an ambush behind the city. And so Joshua arises. He uses 30,000 men of valor, sent them away by night. But saying, you shall lie in ambush behind the city. Do not go very far from the city. Then he takes another company. He tells them, you're going to arise from the ambush when the people come out of the city. Then he takes another group and camps to the north, right in front of the gates. And he starts advancing. And the people of Ai come out from their houses. All the people come out to defeat Israel. And they fake running like they're running in defeat. And I thinks we've got them again. Let's chase them out. We've got this. And they abandon the city. And the ambush from behind comes in and captures the city and sets it on fire. And then the people realize it. And Joshua raises his spear. It's like Moses raising the, uh, the, uh, the rod of God over the Red Sea. And while it was raised, they had victory and they lost no people. Do you realize they, nobody was lost in this battle? Because the Lord's favor was with them. In fact, from this time onward, no one is lost in a battle as they take the land. And he holds out the sword as he does. They come in, they sack the city. Then those that had been running turn around and they start attacking. And they're attacked from two sides and they utterly defeat. And the, the response is this. And they struck down, this is in verse 22. So that none of them remained, but the king of Ai was taken alive and brought to Joshua. And he's, he's publicly killed and humiliated. Verse 25, so it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000 of all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back his hand with the spear, which he stretched out the spear, until he utterly dis destroyed the inhabitants of Ai. That was a sign of, it's the sword of the Lord. Remember, the commander of the Lord's army had appeared. And he's doing what Joshua did with the quote, uh, not Joshua, Moses, with the rod of God. He's extending it, saying, this is the Lord's battle. And it was a sign for all of Israel, God's got this battle. And it, uh, we'll, we'll kind of leave it there. Um, and when, that's, that's sort of the story. Ai is completely defeated. So I want to give you some specific, there's a picture, by the way, of Ai. These are the ruins. It's up on a hill. They've got modern houses right near it. I hope they don't build over it. Um, but it was relatively small, but it had 12,000 people in it. And uh, it was a fortress. There was only three cities where everyone was burned and destroyed. It was Jericho, Ai, and Hatsor in the north. The rest, they were dispossessed, and they took the land, and they, they didn't necessarily defeat 
the people. They didn't kill the people. The, 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 the command was to um, displace. Is that making sense? So there's a picture of it. Here's some lessons I want you to remember out of this. Sins of rebellion sever the blessing of God and make us vulnerable to defeat by the enemy. Lord, I pray that we um, do not disobey the words, the specific instructions you've given us. I pray that you'd hold us on a short leash by the Holy Spirit and that we're, when we're about to willfully, knowingly rebel by doing something you've asked us not to do, that you catch us. I thank you that you can offer that grace because Lord, we wanna come into the fullness of promises. Second thing I wanna say, um, by the way, sins of rebellion, I, I, just so we're clear on this, they're deliberate, they're willful, and they're often hidden. Um, and what happens is we're often unaware that we're under a curse when we've hidden them. Because when we hide it, it's also a little bit out of our mind. We, we stuff that conviction. So you've got Samson who has um, committed sin with Delilah and then told his secret. And it says in the text, he was unaware when he woke up that the, the Lord had left him. Which was sad. Numbers, um, Numbers 14, this is when this, they went up and presumptuously attacked the land. The Lord says specifically, do not go up for I'm not with you. But they didn't realize it. And so um, similarly, Saul was unaware that the spirit had departed of him when he defaulted on the kingdom. So um, we just don't wanna do that. Second thing, acting in pride or presumption leads to a beating. <laughs> That means, oh, we got this. We only know a few of us. It's not a big deal for us to do this or to do that. God's got it. And we fail to ask or inquire of his instructions. And we act in our strength. This is that picture of the word that came forth about the little foxes. Oh, I got this little fox, Lord. Well, guess what? They had babies and there's lots of little foxes and it's a mighty fire and we need the Lord to roar over it to, to extinguish those flames. So we don't want to act in pride or rebellion. The sin of one usually impacts another. This is sober. I'll be really honest um, with you. I, I struggled a little bit in college. I lived in a frat house. It's where I got saved. And they had Playboy penthouse magazines all over the place, everywhere, in all the bathrooms, just pinned on walls everywhere. And I got caught in sort of a pornography thing in college. And the Lord graciously delivered me of that, a spirit related to that. My early 20s, I was completely set free. And one day I was in uh, the, it's, I think it's a 7-Eleven. What's that place right on the corner? It's a Conoco 7-Eleven. And there was a Sports Illustrated issue sitting there. It was the swimsuit issue. And um, scantily clad, and I let my eyes linger. And I'm like, ooh. And the Lord speaks to me almost audibly in my spirit, says, don't you dare linger. Do you want your boys to fall into pornography like you did? Your sin will affect them. And I'm like, I gasped. I literally gasped and said, no, Lord, I don't. But that's the impact of headship sin and what the impact is on those around us. And the fear of the Lord gripped me. And so I avert my eyes. 
Thank you, Jesus, for the fear of the Lord. I'm, it's sober, isn't it? When God's hand lifts, look within. Do you notice? I, I want to say this. The enemy was not the problem. In all of the issues coming into the land, it was their unbelief, their, their complaining, their murmuring. In this case, it's, it's stealing the glory, acting presumptuously. In no cases do we ever see the enemy defeating the people of God or successful in preventing the advance of the kingdom. Jesus said it this way, I've given you the keys of the kingdom and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, meaning the advance of the kingdom. So we have the keys, you and I, and the issue is, are we gonna steward our life in a way such that we can actually operate those keys? Because when we do, the enemy is defeated. The enemy actually did not prevent, except at I, when the sin is obvious. It's the only time they had a loss. And I, the other was presumption when they tried to take on the Amalekites in Numbers uh, 14. Your sin cannot be hidden from God. You may think you have it buried in your tent, but apparently uh, the Lord knows how to whittle that down to sing, single it out. Mm, that's, that's scary. Six, sins of rebellion must be purged. And seven, after repentance, we regain God's blessing and obtain God's victory. So, I think I wanna close this with ministry. I realize this is a sober word. It's been sober. Um, here's what I take away as encouragement from how I watched the Holy Spirit unfold today. I heard there was a lion roaring and we're preparing the way for the Lord. It sounded a little bit to me like the Lord is advancing and we're gonna open those gates so the king of glory might come in. And how we're gonna do that is have clean hands and a pure heart. And so the good news is in Jesus, the sin is completely dealt with on the cross. Every power, every principality, the law is dealt with. We're now in an age of grace, the operative power of God to walk in what he's called us to walk in. Will we appropriate it? Will we deal with what's hidden and allow the Lord to purge those things from our midst? It's been a sober season of a few months where the Lord is like shifting and shaking and taking things. And I don't want you to go soul searching and try to shine a spotlight when the Lord's not doing it. But if the Lord is shining something, the answer is, Jesus, I need you to take care of this. Don't fall into the trap of sin management. You can't do it. <laughs> just give it a try and just see, eat that golden calf, see if it works. <laughs> but if you give it to the Lord and you repent and you turn, you say, Lord, I am going to repent. I don't know that I have the strength to walk from this, but I need you to help me. You know what will happen? God will help you. No temptation or trial, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, has overtaken you that is not common to man, but with the temptation or trial, he gives you the grace that you might stand up under it. I take that as a real promise. So you got this, because Jesus has it. All you have to do is repent. So let's uh, move to some time of ministry. I'm, I'm pretty much done. I'm gonna close this down so that we don't need to 
Oh, look at that, it's still on, that's fun. Um, why don't we stand? Boy, it's really quiet in here. I realize it's a sober word, but uh, I really wanna be truthful to the text. I hope you hear me on this. The importance is when you exegetically preach through uh, a book like we're doing in Joshua, you gotta deal with the sticky wickets. Um, and this is a sticky wicket, like judgment and failure because of sin. And it's, I'm just grateful that we're getting to wrestle with it because I know this, the kingdom is advancing. And I think it was, I don't know if it was Christy Joe, I've lost track of who gave, gave the words now. But there is a roar that's intended to come out of the mouth of the people to advance the kingdom. But it will come through clean hands and a pure heart. So we gotta deal with those issues, like the criticism of leadership, the unbelief structures of our heart. I could list the, the 11 that we've covered. Do you want me to review those with you? I'll just remind you, if one stands out, temptation to go back to slavery in the world system. Complaining when bitter experiences present themselves. Complaining when there's a lack of provision for the vision. Idolatry, material greed with a poverty mindset. Criticism or rebellion against leadership that God's placed over you. Outright unbelief in the promises of God. Presumption, letting anger get in the way to pause you in the flesh where you take glory. Sexual sin and harlotry, and in this last case, specifically rebelling against the word of the Lord by taking what belongs to him. So Lord, we just repent of any of those things. We ask you to have mercy on us, to allow us to walk in holiness, and we thank you that you are an all-consuming fire. We've been singing about it for three or four months. And I ask, Lord, that you will uh, cleanse us and purge us. And I pray for your mercy in that. I pray that people will not have to have sin exposed publicly, like Achan's was. I pray, Lord, that in the privacy of our home, our home life needs to match our public life as Christianity. I pray that in that place, Lord, you would expose and that you would just deal with us ruthlessly because Lord, we want to be holy vessels that can roar the roar of the Lord. And we ask you to do this for us and I pray for a spirit of conviction to fall and that you'd minister to these that need that. I'm gonna have several responses. I wrote some down. I felt like the Lord gave this to me this morning. Um, these are the People, if you don't know the Lord this morning, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to accept him. Um, and if you have sin, hidden sin or rebellion to confess, I want you to do that privately uh, right now in this time of ministry. Um, some of you may have an intercessory thing where you, um, which we were actually modeled by Cindy a little bit this morning, where you feel like you want to repent, you're feeling the burden of the Lord to repent on behalf of a community or a family so that God in his mercy would cause the family and the community to be in blessing. Does that make sense? Do you know what I'm talking about? And then there are some of you that just may wanna present yourself before the Lord for self-examination, kinda like David did in Psalm 139. So if you feel like coming down, you can. If you just wanna stand where you are, 
but I'm going to um, just offer an opportunity to receive Christ for just a minute. And so, uh, Lord, I thank you that Jesus provides the answer. You can just pray this with me, Lord Jesus. I confess you that I have sin in my life. I accept you as the son of God and I make you Lord of my life. I ask that you come in. You'd bring in the Holy Spirit to sanctify me, to cleanse me, and to fill me with power so I can do the works of the kingdom. I welcome you in my life. It's in your name I pray. Amen. And if you've done that, even for the first time, whether listening, watching online, or here, you know, you can pop up a hand if you're here. I'd love to see you afterwards. But you've just entered the kingdom, and God is going to start working and do amazing things. So we bless you. I think for the sins of rebellion uh, and sort of the, the issue of um, those things that are before the Lord, I'd encourage you to go home and ponder this in a quiet time. Um, you can listen online. Uh, I may even see if we can post like the 10 or 11 areas of rebellion um, so that you can see and just say, Lord, if there's any wicked way in me, deal with it. Yeah, I mean, David's prayer in Psalm 51 was created me a clean heart of God and renew a right spirit within me. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. It's this idea of he understood. And you know, the psalmist might be David again in Psalm 32 that when he said, do you have something written? Or you're just, you're stepping. You wanna share a testimony? Okay. Um, Psalm 32. Our bones dry up when we don't confess our sin. Some of you actually, I feel like there's a word on that, have physical issues. Dr. Henry Wright says about 80 to 90% of all diseases have a, a spiritual root. Bitterness leading to arthritis, unforgiven sin, all sorts of issues. So this is time to just say, Lord, examine me. So you can come before the Lord if you'd like today, but I encourage you to do it this week. I know I'm gonna be doing it. Just like, as I read this word, I'm like, oh gosh, Lord, I gotta preach this word. This is like challenging. But I'm gonna get before the Lord and really ask him because I tell you, I want to roar the roar of the Lord. And I'm, I, I am confident the Lord is going to deal with us and he's gracious. So Lord, I pray, I wanna pray the prayer of Moses for everyone here that as they see what they see by the Holy Spirit that's not in alignment with your best for them, that you would forgive their sin like you were merciful to Miriam. Lord, in your mercy, would you reveal, but just enough to bring conviction, and the moment they confess... I pray that you remove it as far as the east is from the west and you'd restore them fully and bring them into a place of complete blessing. I ask this for your great name's sake and on the basis of the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrected living. I thank you for this. Hmm. All right.
you got a word? It's a testimony. Shall I dismiss everyone first, or you want to just share it? Is it long? Um, no. This is one I of our. This is our applies. This is one of our board of directors. This Whitney. Go ahead. Um, there had been an issue going on for a long time that I just. Um, it was at my work, and I just felt like things kept getting stolen, and I just after I mean years of this, and you'd I'd get some momentum, and then boom, something would get stolen. And, I, and it just occurred to me that there had to be an open door. There had to be something that was giving the enemy legal right to come in and continue to steal because it was just such a pattern. But I was at the end of my rope. Like, I didn't have any idea how to find this door. And I had asked for years and just never felt like it came around. Um, and... Finally, I said, Lord, I'm just apparently too dense to get this from you, so give me a dream. <laughs> and that night he gave me a dream, and I knew what it was, and, um, and it was an area of sin in my life that didn't feel like rebellion. It didn't feel like anything, but it had become a stronghold. And so I repented of that, and I had such a godly conviction, um, prayed with my husband, like just let it let it be there but then you know sometimes you don't feel forgiven so I'm like how do I know if that is going to actually solve the problem that has been stealing things from me for years and that Sunday in church um Daniel came up and said um I saw you during worship and there was a door right next to you, and a big hand came down and locked the door. And, the, <laughs> and, God, and God wants you to know that the door is locked. And, um, and still there was some like, stuff going on at work, and I was like, are you sure, are you sure, sure? It looks like a pattern is gonna repeat. And I was just bracing myself. Um, and there was a miraculous turn of events. And, um, and it Praise really God. was that the, the door was closed. So I'm going to say that with some hope because I hear this. And when you say, here are 14 ways that God doesn't <laughs> have to fulfill your promises, his promises to you, that puts a little fear in me. Like, I've got promises. And so thinking how much could be on me. It's hard to hear. And so I actually want to re release perfectionism, performance, striving, because that's where I go when I hear stuff like that. And yeah, it's a super serious word. And I have a really recent testimony of how I had let doors be open. And it was God and God alone who revealed those to me and, then, and helped me shut them. So I want to just release you from any performance that comes up that says you have to figure this out. You have to identify all of your sins and all of the stuff that you have going on in your life because that's too much pressure and that's been paid for. Amen. <laughs> and so then I just say, Lord, you know the strongholds that each of us have in our lives. 
you know what we have covered, even unintentionally, but you know how in the spiritual realm they are wreaking havoc and they are giving the enemy ground to take from us. And so we ask you, Lord, to reveal so clearly to us any of these things, any of these threats to you fulfilling your promises in our life. Lord, we say through your Holy Spirit, prompt us, convict us as needed, and show us how to repent from these things once and for all, and then to believe that our repentance is all it takes, and that you then yeah, shut the doors and allow your glory and your blessings to flow over us. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Okay, we'll just open up the front for ministry. If any of you would like to come down for ministry, I'm gonna invite front row our ministry team, any uh, of the old uh, CSKM students that are here. But we'll, we'll go ahead and dismiss you. Thank you for, what's that? Oh, the song. Let's play this song. This song has an incredible deliverance anointing on it. And I think it's, we've been, uh, the testimonies are this incredible angelic activity around it. And people are getting delivered and set free from lifetime issues of sin as they listen to this. Um, so we'll take off the live stream at this point, hint, hint, um, to my guys back there. And let's go ahead and play this, put some volume to it. If you want to stay for this, otherwise you can be dismissed. But let's be quiet in here so we can hear this song. It's, uh, uh, my staff was under the table for two hours after they listened to this on Tuesday. <laughs> so it, it wrecked a few of them. Um, so go ahead and play it. Are you ready, Doug? <laughs> 